not sure where to go or who to trust? Visit Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, General and Family Dentistry. Reasonably priced, accepts most major insurance, Hebrew speaking, open Sundays, warm and caring staff, child-friendly and Hamish environment. Call them at 718-972-2970. Dr. Yehoshua Cantor, gentle and attentive care. 718-972-2970. Welcome to Kashras on the Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues for the kosher consumer. And I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashras Magazine. And tonight we have a very interesting show. Uh, I'll tell you the truth, it was, it was supposed to be about one topic, and last night uh, I went in into, uh, the, into, uh, into Brooklyn for a simcha, and... Uh, that changed the discussion for today. But let, let me just tell you the two topics we Hashem will be discussing. The first one we'll be discussing is probably the quinoa. And it's not just the quinoa, but it's about a lot of issues. You'll see in a second it's multiple issues. And then the other topic we Hashem will be discussing is the uh, kosher trailers, in the, the transporting, kosher transport, in, tra- in tractor trailers of liquid uh, kosher product from one place to another, and the kosher issues involved there, and there's a little bit of a, you know, there's a bit of a, bit of a, a, a wow in the middle of that discussion. So we'll, you'll you'll see in a second what I'm talking about. So let me tell you what was going on. I was going plenty to talk about the truck washing because uh, in my little. Uh, Mill here, we came across some truck washing issue, and uh, then I pulled out some old articles about truck washing and looked into it, and then I went back to my old article that I wrote, 2005, 2007, which was uh, a major uh, breakthrough in the whole industry, and then uh, I went, uh, I was just about ready to prepare for today. Well, last night I went to the Hasana in uh, Brooklyn. And uh, it was very, very interesting. I sat, I just ran into somebody who was uh, quite knowledgeable on the field, in the field, some, uh, somebody who I have a lot of respect for and, and the close association with, Rabbi Yair Hoffman. Now, Rabbi Hoffman is uh, an outspoken individual, never, never holds anything back. And uh, he's, we worked together on one particular situation. Uh, we, we had to approach a certain rabbi. It's a, it's a story that can't be talked about. In any event, uh, I met him, and he, he told me about his, his new article that we just went on Matzav yesterday. And also, I think it was, uh, I mean, obviously printed in, his, in the publication. He writes for the, um, the Five Towns Jewish News. He also told me that the Five Towns Jewish News is now in Lakewood, so I suppose I have to pick up a copy whenever I see one. Uh, but the, the the topic was quinoa, and uh, Rabbi Hoffman brought to the table some very interesting material which I'll share with you. And then, just today, I daven mincha, daven about uh, a little before one, the earliest mincha here, we a little before one, and uh, I, and somebody comes over to me afterwards, and we recognized very well one of the major cautious people um, from Chicago, and he shared with me his knowledge about the quinoa, and 
I think we have a little story here to talk about. So go back to the quinoa and a little bit about what is happening. When I wrote the magazine, uh, this, this current issue, which is just out, I didn't have the, all the facts, and I don't have it yet, and I was smart enough to avoid making any decisions. I said, ask your rabbi, ask your conscious agency. I didn't take the responsibility to explain what I thought about the whole issue because I felt it was a moving target. And as you'll hear tonight, it is very much a moving target, very much. So here's, here's what's happening. Let's first start with what did happen. Over the last few years, maybe two, maybe three, I don't know how long, we kept getting reports about quinoa, usually the red one, but it didn't make a difference. We were getting reports of quinoa loaded with insects, loaded with them. And you could see a little a video clips that they have on the, on the web about you see the actual insect. They open the package, they pour it out, and you see this little stuff, you know, floating all around in there. And then they showed, you know, methodologies. Everybody had a different methodology. They want to use a little, uh, uh, to shake it up in a, with, a, with a netting in between, and uh, the, the bugs would supposedly come down to the bottom, and the quinoa will stay on the top in, say, in, this, in this netting. And they, the question was, how long do you shake it, and uh, what size the little holes are going to be in that in that netting? Um, so that that's I could, I mean, no one seems to agree, and that bothered me very much because something like this, if it really is, uh, if people want to not confuse the whole world, they should have standardized some kind of methodology. It was possible. If it wasn't possible, it wasn't possible. But to come at, for everybody to come out with a different idea means to say that uh, if you do A, you didn't do B. So am I supposed to be Machmir and get reports from every single conscious agency and see if I can combine all the hummus of all of them together? Or am I supposed to look for the easiest way out? Or am I supposed to go to the Hashkocha that I that I buy the most of my foods from or the most, the least of my foods from? Or when I have a real big child, I always go to Rabbi so-and-so. What, what, what am I supposed to do? So I didn't make any decision. And I felt it, it was too early. I still think it's too early. I think we're just not even started yet. And quinoa wasn't the only thing. The star cake came out. Quinoa, brown rice, and the third one, uh, the barley. And I said, etc. And that I added something stuff myself. But they, but they said we have a big problem here: brown rice, which no one else even mentioned, and uh, and it was barley, which everybody always knew to watch for. They felt not so simple anymore. Star cake, very strict standards about this. They want everybody to do a lot of work. And you can look at all the stuff online, or you can go to the conscious agencies and check it all out. The OU has its standards, has its standards, and as we go on, each one of them will present to you their idea of how to deal with the quinoa and with the brown rice, etc. So and now, let's go a step further. I'm going to tell you the end of the story, as far as I know, and get back to what Rabbi Hoffman wrote. 
So Rabbi Hoffman worked on a piece dealing with mute calls it, which is the is showing you, um, you know, the at what point do we have to check our quinoa? Now, if you ever saw these videos, if you know anything about quinoa, and you you will realize that it is, if it's infested, it's super infested. As Rabbi uh, the rabbi from Chicago told me, leaving names out, the rabbi from, I mean, Rabbi Hoffman wrote this article, uh, but uh, leave other names out. This rabbi from Chicago who I met today, his daughter got married last night. I believe it was a daughter. It was either a son or a daughter. I forgot. I think it was a daughter. She got married last last night. And uh, yes, that was it. I think there was the daughter and the son got married a few weeks ago. Or a simcha, whatever. But anyway, I happened to meet him in town here, and he, uh, he told me that when that when you see these things, sometimes they're so infested you wonder what's which is more, the quinoa or the insects. It's crawling with the stuff. You, nobody, no gourd would eat it, and a lot of it's alive. And it's 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 really pathetic. Of course, some people throw things right in without looking in what the, what's in the bag. But if you did see these things, you know, you, you, even a one bug or whatever it is, you certainly wouldn't want to have that. So obviously, it's sometimes very infested. I heard different theories about how it works. It seems to be that the factories themselves, very often they have a clean product in the factory. But somewhere between the factory and when it gets to your house, there's a problem. Now listen to this thing, which I'm going to tell you now, which is absolutely unbelievable. And I really am, I can't even get my, wrap my head around it because I just heard about it, as I said, at 1 o'clock today. We finished davening at 1 o'clock. And, and, and I couldn't, I couldn't, I can't understand this. This gentleman told me that in Chicago, no problem with quinoa. It's a New York problem it's a it's a new york new jersey problem it's called northeast problem star k is not not new york and not new jersey but the but the star k said this is northeast they've seen it right up and down north northeast in chicago they say there's no problem there's a gentleman there who works for the crc who checked 1000 bags not exaggerating, 1,000 bags of quinoa and did not find insects. They app, he did it from different places. He got it wherever he got it. I mean, obviously stores in the Chicago area. I don't know if it's only Chicago, Illinois, but it may be another Illinois city. I don't know. But they definitely, from what was available in their area, they checked 1,000 bags and didn't find it infested. So they... They're just going on. They're using it regularly. Maybe it'll change. Maybe it won't. Maybe ours will change for better. I don't know. But this was this was a bizarre information. I, I'm wondering what goes on in California, what goes down in Florida, you know, what's up in Canada. I mean, it, what we're saying is that now all of these things, all of the, the quinoa is grown in the same area. They don't have a different quinoa than we have. They're the same name companies. 
the same product. It may even have left the same factory. Chicago people tell me that they feel that maybe it's it's storage, maybe it's a middleman holding it up a little bit, and the the little eggs start hatching. We got uh, product here, uh, you know. Uh, we got uh, we we have some protein mixed in with our uh, quinoa. Yeah, that's because we procrastinated until it got to our table. That's the that what they surmise. And yet over here, everybody's taking this very seriously. And uh, I, I can't tell you what to do. I really don't know, but I can say that we have a problem here in the Northeast that Kuliamba Wopliki everybody accepts. Chicago claims to have no problem. And the rest of the country, I don't know right now. But it doesn't, it, 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 it has to be explained better. And uh, we have to have some normalcy and feel confident. So let me go on now. I don't want to, I gave those introductions. My goodness, it went on so long. Let me go on a little bit and tell you what he has here, Rabbi Hoffman. Rabbi Hoffman discusses which is a small, significant number, not the rove, not majority, because when there's a majority, we know the rule is you follow the majority. That's the halacha. And, and so this is not a majority, but it's, the infestation is significant. What, at what level is it called significant? So I'm going to give you a little bit of, of what he says, but first let me tell you how he says it affects us. He mentions that, of course, of course, we're talking about quinoa, but it affects shotness, missing husbands, and chickens. And here's how he explains that. And, of course, uh, even something else was buying Uggs, those shoes, the Ugg shoes, because they found a certain amount of shotness in the Ugg shoes, which it was, uh, you know, it, 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 it wasn't enough to create a requirement to have the Ugg the shoes checked for shotness. That's the question that uh, was taken up by the shotness uh, people. Um, and, and from what I was able to gather, well, it might have been a nice idea to have your Uggs checked, but uh, it probably didn't uh, require it because the amount of time it happened was very small and it wasn't supposed to be a regular a regular mix of, of the wool and linen together. But definitely it was something in the UG, and the question is, was it a mir hamotza? You know, I could check it out with your own shot in this lamp. Now, but but the, that's a, an example of when you, when a mir hamotza affects us. Mir hamotza means a small amount, but it's found. It means there's some kind of regularity to it, and it's a significant amount. Not rove, not majority, but something to be concerned about. And how do you determine that? Another example was, was the case about the uh, uh, missing husbands, because sometimes you have a situation where a husband, was in a situation where he, he, might, he might be on his deathbed, or he might have been in, uh, in a, uh, a plane that went down, or in a you know, boat that went down, or is there any chance for his escaping, or the, the Twin Towers, was there any chance of him escaping? And these are, are questions that are taken up, and there's halachas written over, over centuries about this to avoid agunos. Another example is, uh, is chickens. Now, in chickens, we have two problems. 
one problem is the lung, and the other problem is the what we call sumus uh, hagidin, which is a uh, ripped vein that's right behind the uh, the chicken's knee. Now, let, let me just explain that to you because most of us uh, don't are not so familiar with it, and it's it, there are these two very important halachos. In the Shulchan Aruch, it says that we don't have to check lungs of chickens. I mean, we don't have to check for all the uh, trephas. Uh, our minig is to check lungs of animals and not to check lungs of chickens. In Israel, they do check the lungs of the chickens, too. It's not a big procedure, but they do some checking. In America, they don't do it. If they would find a significant percent in among the chickens, they would do it. Uh, very rarely has it ever been an issue. But sometimes we have people who go through it and say we're having a problem. I remember that uh, two gentlemen came from Israel and went around checking and claimed that there was a problem with all not just one, all of the shritas here in America, that there was too significant a rate, uh, amount of, 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 of trephus from the lungs on chickens. And uh, they, they were lobbying, and people started lobbying for checking lungs, which would, cost the, you know, would increase the cost uh, of the chicken prohibitively, but, oh, but that's okay. We would have to absorb it, no question about it. In any event, it never happened. No one ever changed it. I don't believe at all, unless they maybe maybe initially or something, but I don't believe that anybody checks it. Now, in Israel, it's standard procedure to check the lungs. In other countries, in other countries, they also do check the lungs of the chickens. So that's something that could change if we knew that the numbers changed. It happens often is we call tzumasagidin. The tzumasagidin is uh, like if you look at a... The bottom, the, the the leg of a chicken or a turkey. Turkey is even the better one. You would know that turkey when the turkey leg, when you cut it open and you look inside, you see all kinds of veins and things sticking out. Well, that's the way it is towards the bottom, what we would call like where our hand is, where just at the wrist, right there are the tsumas hagidin, the attachment of all of the gidin, all of the sinews in the chicken that come to a, a head over there. And, and it very easily could be cut there, and it would be, uh, that's where you examine it. So what they do in this is they make a little slit on the, where the hand would be, and uh, they examine, takes a second. I saw it, you know, it's a very quick procedure. It doesn't take a second. They stick their fingers in, they pull, and it seems it's hard if it's, if it didn't, if it's not broken, if it's not ripped. So then they're great. Here in America, we don't bother with it, and uh, we cut off the feet. So you don't even necessarily have a chance of it after it's been it's been processed in the plant to be sure that there's not there was a tumor that gave them problem. The chicken was alive, so we don't bother with it. But every once in a while, they find that there's a problem with tumor sagidin, and they require it to be checked. Uh, some of the kashrut agencies, or some of the hashgachos, some of the uh, Chicken companies check a few hundred every day just to make sure there's no problem. And if they're okay, then you're good to go. And if they have a problem, then, of course, they'll check the whole day and, 
and then hopefully the problem will get resolved somehow, and they'll switch to they buying their chickens from the next day. And that's basically what we've been doing with the chickens. What is then mirt ha What does it mean? Not so simple. Um, the first question is, what, what's the actual number? What percent are we talking about? So strange as it is, the first uh, opinion that uh, Rabbi Hoffman brings, which is the, is the classic, is that the Rivash, the Rivash was uh, the 1300s, 1326 to 1408. The Rivash wrote a tshuva in which he said that Miut Hamatsui is close to 50%. Now, 50% or 51%, I would say, is the majority. So, Close to that, very close to that, is 49%. 50 is 50, 50, 50, 50 is, is, is a washout. There's no, there's no robe and there's no mute. It's a, it's a washout. Yeah, but 50, 51, 49, and 49 being the bad problem, would be a, a mute, hamatsui, according to the revosh, which is extreme, because there's almost no difference between, you know, 49 and 51, I mean, it's a very strange statement. And uh, it's, 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 what about a, what is a regular minority, you know? I mean, uh, what, what, what status is it? So um, the opinion that some people have is the Rivosh did not mean that. And he really meant 26%. Now, how do you get 26%? Well, 25% is a quarter. It's not a half. You know, from zero, quarter, half. I mean, you can have smaller increments also, but that's a quarter is like the increment to get to a half. And above a quarter is 26%. So it's not a quarter, but it's almost a half. So they're saying the downward side of the, you know, of of something that's under 50%, which means 26%. And that's what some people hold, and that they learn that way. And Rav Scheinberg learns the Rivosh that way, uh, that it's 26%. And so that, obviously it's uh, an opinion of the Rivosh, according to some. And others say he meant 49% literally, which is a fantastic number. The second approach uh, is the Rav Chaim Belozhna, I'm sorry, uh, Rav Yaakov Minkowski, who wrote the Mishkanus Yaakov? It's one of the, it's the most famous opinion, and everybody knows this. Uh, Mishkanus Yaakov Paskins, ten percent. Ten percent is considered to be miut hamatsui, that it's significant minority, and that he bases it on something to do with Truma Samaisis. I'm not going to do it, discuss it with you now. Number the third approach is the base Ephraim, who says that uh, you're only obligated to check for a prevalent minority when it's certain that in the minority that, uh, that, that it somewhere it exists. In other words, if there's a doubt about it completely, then there's no obligation to check. So, for example, I have 10 things, 
And I'm sure that in those 10 things, let's say 100, of 100 bags of lettuce, and if I'm sure that in 100 bags of lettuce, I'm going to find something. I'm going to find a bug in one of the 100 heads of lettuce. If I'm sure of that, then we can discuss Mir HaMatsui. But Mir HaMatsui is only if you know that there's something in there, or if it, then you could say it's in one of these, so I have to check it. But if you don't know there's any there at all, there's a possibility of nothing being there, then it, it, isn't, it isn't for him, it is not considered to be. For the base of Ephraim, it's not considered to be a mir HaMatsui. How that works out in practice, I don't know. You have to, have to you know, work it through. Um, the next one is uh, the Shevet Halevi. So the Shevet Halevi says there's, there's two types of uh, minorities. There's a minority that is always accompanying the majority. That's the, the concern uh, even when it's less than 10%. But if the minority appears as mere chance, it's not considered to be concerned about. So in other words, is there, you know, is it always going to be with the majority of minority? Okay. Similar, I think, with the Yadbeis Ephraim. Rav Chaim Pinsley Scheinberg and Rav Folk, they hold that that it's not a hard, fast percent. It depends upon the person if he's surprised and perplexed that it exists or he feels that he's expecting it. If you're kind of kind of expecting it then and you're not shocked that it's infested, then then that's considered significant. And I think that that's really you know what what one of our problems is today. There's another approach is Valyoshiv and uh and Rav Moshe Vaya quotes him that the number is 7%, and that people who are very medactic should use the number 5%. I heard that there's a, in the Hasidim or also Makpid on 3%. I don't know where they got it from, but, I, but that, that's, a, that's the one that he did not bring. But I always heard 3% in the uh, chicken business that they were people who were checking the Tzumas HaGidin if they found 3%. So you see there's all kinds of numbers. Um, then there's a question which, uh, which way uh, there's a Rav Shulman Zalman uh, says that he used the Mishkan as Yaakov. Rav Meir Bransdorf is not living anymore. Also, a big time of I knew him. He said, like the Mishkan as Yaakov, that the 10%. And that seems to be more where most people are at. There are some who said the 26%. So you see that there's a, a lot of different numbers. So if you use the smaller numbers, let's say a 5% or 10% or a 7% or whatever, or that 3%, that means that's a big homer. Because only 3% of the time you're finding it. So let's say for argument's sake, if it's heads of lettuce, 3%, you know, that means that uh, uh, of 100 have one bug in it. That would be that would be pretty scary. So that really does require a lot of checking. If you say those numbers, if you use the number forty nine percent, that means forty nine percent of the, the the heads of lettuce will have one bug in it. So maybe we are safe and don't need any checking whatsoever, according to that strict, I mean, right liberal way of learning. 
Now comes the most exciting part of the whole thing, because now we're asking a question, and there is nobody who answers this problem. You'll see in a second. Forget the numbers. Use the 46 and the 10 and the 5 and the 3, and the, whatever you want you'll use. But percent of what? What are we going to take a percent of? Is it each uh, leaf? Is it 10% of the leaves? That would be very liberal. If you say you have to have, you have to have, uh, you have to have one bug in every 10 leaves. Otherwise, there's nothing to talk about. That would be very liberal. Or you say, or maybe you say it's one in 10 heads. That sounds very dramatic. Maybe it's one in 10 portions of what a person would eat. Maybe eat three, four leaves of uh, lettuce. So maybe that's the number we use to check the, the percent of servings, percent of heads, percent of, uh, of individual leaves. What percent of what? It's an unknown. That's why this whole thing is very, 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 very challenging. So let's just go and give you uh, what some people are saying. Rav Moshe Vayi quoted Rav Yashuv that it means a general unit that's purchased. How do you purchase it? So, for example, I'll give you an example. When you go to buy, um, you, when, you, when you go to buy broccoli in the store, what do they sell you? They take a sprig of broccoli and they put two or three of them together, tie it up with a rubber band or with a piece of uh, tape. And that's what they sell you. So is it, so, so according to Rabbi Yoshev, that if you have 10% of those bunches have one bug in them, then you have to check completely the ones you have that you're eating, which is very hard with broccoli. Again, if, according to Rabbi Yoshev, if you would buy those the broccoli comes two or three pieces together tied around with a rubber band. If you found in all those florets one bug for ten bunches, then that would be a mid hamatsui, and you would have to check all of them. So that and those numbers can guarantee you. You can go out even in the winter and whatever time of year you're going to go, you're going to find more than one bug in uh, ten, uh, 10 of those. So you're going to find much more than that in broccoli. Broccoli is very infested. So, yes, th- that is uh, why broccoli, for example, we're very, very careful. And, uh, and, and, and that's, that's why it's, it's a challenge, you know, and that's why there's special companies that are making it if they can do it properly. And they try in a special uh, way of growing, etc. and they check uh, sampling, very, a very serious amount of sampling. Okay, so that's one way. And others people say no. They say it's a portion. So that's very liberal because how much of, the, of that broccoli do you eat? Maybe you eat a third of it. Maybe you eat a quarter of it. So then you're saying that you, you'd have to find one bug in uh, ten servings. That's much less than one bug in ten presentations that you buy in the store. And like, for example, with a head of lettuce, so a head of lettuce is a lot of lettuce. That's, that's more than one person could eat in the week. So uh, the, uh, it, it, if you say the heads of lettuce, one bug in heads of lettuce, then 
I think you you know lettuce and cabbage would definitely be a meat hamotzi. There's no question about it. Mashain can would learn the other way if you learned that it's, uh, it's portions. It could be that in plain lettuce, let's say iceberg lettuce, you wouldn't need to check it all. So this is totally this is depends on how you learn this question. Now, I spent a lot of time discussing this pro this issue, and it's in and it's in it's something that is. Uh, it's it's a growing issue. We're not sure where it's headed. Again, we have different parts of the country. We have certain products that we mentioned. We mentioned quinoa. We mentioned brown rice. We mentioned barley. And we're seeing a problem. And the cautious agencies are telling us they're seeing a problem. And we do need due diligence. And every person has a responsibility to check things out with their cautious agencies and uh, to study whatever is coming out in, in, in training for us and how to check further. We're not going to give everything up. We're going to try to do a good job and uh, buy from the companies that we feel are safe. And we're not going to, it's not, we're not throwing in a towel on these. This is not blackberries and raspberries. This is something that uh, will be resolved. But at the moment, to just take every bag of quinoa and empty it out is a problem. There are some companies that make the quinoa and put it into these bags that are airtight, which makes it a lot better. I don't know if it guarantees. I'm, I'm not so sure it does, but certainly that's a way better. I know that the Badatsu, the Kairetis has hashkocha on some, or they do come in those kind of bags. I, I would just tell everybody to be careful and to check and to ask their hashkochas or their rabbonim for direction in this complicated area. Now, I'm going to go back to that other story. And I don't think I'm going to finish it, but I'm going to certainly try my best to do what I can. It's very, very exciting when this topic of the, um, of the tankers and of the truckers. You see, back in 2007, I got in a lot of trouble. And I'm going to share with you the short version, because the long version I can't talk about. But there was a speaker at the ACO convention. His name was Itz, and his last name is Van. And Itz Van is a from is man who is an independent trucker. He owns his own truck. And he doesn't, he doesn't own a, a trucking company, but he's loan on loan to trucking companies, and he does hauls for them. And, of course, he is a kosher from Jew, and he wants to do everything properly. And somehow he got to this ACO convention in 2007 or 2006, and uh, he spoke, and, and he was very powerful. And I asked permission to use what he said, and I got permission from the head of ACO, which is Rabbi Fishbane, and I got permission from Rabbi Van, the Mr. Van, to do to uh, to use his uh, his speech. He gave me his notes, so I was all set to go, and uh, I worked it through, and I showed them what I'm putting out, and I published it. As soon as I published it, the whole cautious industry went crazy. And it, uh, even though Mr. Van had spoken at the Yako Convention and many of the conscious agencies was there, but when I wrote about this, it got out to the to the entire world. 
and uh, there were implications. And it was a very, very tenuous situation for me because um, they, they, they felt that uh, uh, people were becoming uh, concerned, which I think they should have become concerned. But in any event, that was the little interesting part of, of, of Kasha's magazine, uh, some of the little excitement that we had in 2007. That article is a fantastic article, and uh, hopefully it doesn't apply anymore. This I can't tell you. I'm not in the industry to that level, and uh, you'd have to f- check it out further again. Hopefully, in, in these 13 years, things have improved tremendously. So let's go back to those days. I'm going to read to you a few lines from the article from Mr. Van. And it's a little bit hard to understand one thing saying there, and I just had the words that he had, so it maybe doesn't come out 100% clear because maybe he, he made, it, made it more clear when we were speaking to us, and, or maybe, it just, maybe it's not clear enough. But as far as that, that's only a few stories. Uh, then afterwards, we're going to give you what the Kachwas agencies are saying. And, uh, but this, what he said is very insightful because he's from the inside, and he also had a little secret here, which I'm going to share with you. Okay, this is, again, Yitzhak Van, and called it Yitz the Trucker. Kosher trucking faces serious problems. That was the lead article. I'm going to read to you a story. This is definitely on the good side. Let's start off with something nice. It doesn't hurt, right? Even if we're talking about some non-Jews and we're saying something nice, I don't feel bad. Here, let's go. Here we go. So he said, here's another real-life example that is very important to tankers. Tanker, trucker, it's the same thing. Tankers, he drives a tanker, you know, a trailer. John Bishop of McCain's Foods in Eastern Maine was explaining to me, me being the driver of his McDonald's beef fat oil delivery. He was delivering beef fat oil, trace, trace, to McDonald's. And he was doing it for McCain. And uh, John Bishop worked at McCain, and nobody knew that Yitz was a from Jew. Don't ask me now, but he didn't. He covered it up pretty well. So he told him that there's no room in the day tank, and that the other tanks were kosher tanks. So he, in other words, he had tanks, which he said I couldn't take the oil in it because they're kosher tanks. He wouldn't cheat. No way in the world would he put this oil in a kosher tank. John Bishop of McCain's Foods in eastern Maine. McDonald's had switched oils. They were still finishing a PO order with the old oil and couldn't mix the non-kosher oil, which I had, with the new kosher oil that they had already received. John had no way to know that I knew exactly what he was talking about because since 9-11, I don't let people, the people around me have any indication that I'm a Yid unless I'm in the Yiddish neighborhood. The point is that even though the rabbi was not seen at all during the four days I was there, 
John Bishop, a non-Jewish worker in the plant, knew the reasons and respected the process of kosher and was careful to keep kosher and non-kosher totally separated, including hoses, coupling, pumps, etc. Those are the things that are hard to get. You could you carry them yourself, you see, and you use them, and you attach them to your truck, and that maybe they don't all get koshered, you know, because they are little pieces and etc. So it's a little interesting those three things: the hoses, the couplings, and the pumps. That was one of the chidushim that uh, it's had for us. We need more people like John Bishop, a non-Jew, in the kosher food business. People who respect the ways of God's chosen people and will call the rabbi if they may make a mistake in handling of our foods. Eid Echad Neman B'Yisurim is a great policy, but when a non-Jew or an irreligious Jew says you can't eat it, then I know it's definitely not kosher. So here's the story of a non-Jew who upheld kosher, and we were not being protected except by his faith to follow kosher. That's the story. It's a good story, but it's a very bad story. Listen to the next one. Robert L., the owner of a major company, in a meeting in his office assured me that he definitely wanted his company to do kosher the correct way. The sales coordinator dispatcher at the kosher's administrator of a major kosher's organization which certifies the tankers of Mr. L's company, our kosher tanks, did not know that a tanker with a full load of chocolate going to Good Humor Plant in Henderson, Nevada, had previously hauled hot beef fat oil. In other words, the tanker they were using to transport kosher to Good Humor had been used before in a non-kosher, hot, non-kosher run, and, there's no, and it was not koshered. And our guy Yitz knew about it, and the owner of this company did not know it, and the Hashkocha did not know it. Now it was hauling hot chocolate in a tank confined, uh, certified by that kosher agency, which was not kosher supervised by a rabbi or a certified kosher washout company, since that beef fat was in it. In other words, nobody had koshered the equipment since it had carried the non-kosher beef fat. What happened, this is the scary part, and this is what I'm going to spend the next few minutes on. What happened was the washout company, that's what they call the companies, the place where you go to wash your, your, your trailer out. The washout company, which is not entitled to do kosher washouts, had stamped kosher washout on the paperwork. They aren't a certified center because they don't want to pay the $5,000 a year to accept kosher certification. Robert L. didn't know that the kosher washout was a fake. The large kosher agency felt they were innocent since in their letter of certification to Robert L. trailers, they state 
that it, their certification is valid only if the tanker is maintained kosher or parva by a kosher washout from a kosher-certified washout facility accompanied by a letter of certification from the rabbi of the washout facility. But John Bishop knew that the tank delivering his oil had to be koshered. In other words, John Bishop, because of his dedication, was doing a kosher job, even though the rabbis didn't know. And this, unfortunately, this is what Yitz came up with, some of the stuff. It was a little powerful. I don't want to go into all the details. It was a beautiful article. It went on for pages and pages and pages. But let me just tell you what is a little scary, and then I'll get to whatever. At a few minutes I'll have at the end, I'll, I'll, I'll try to sneak some of the facts in here to you. But the next thing is, is really scary. Because when I sit, saw this, I hit the roof. You may not like me going, discussing it all with you, but I think it's, it's a little bit important, especially since we just saw the story about John Bishop and Mr. L. Listen to this. I'm reading to you from an article. We won't get into where the article's from. And it's talking about a kosher washout company called Great Lakes Tank and Truck Wash. Obviously, in the Great Lakes area. Kosher certified businesses and kosher certified products. That's what they claim. They do kosher certified businesses and kosher certified products using their washout. Kosher Michigan currently provides kosher certification to the following businesses. And they list it. Kosher, you know, Great Lakes Tank and Truck, car, uh, truck Wash. And it says in an article that I was looking at, Great Lakes Tank and Truck Wash is Michigan's preferred tank wash facility specializing in food-grade and non-food-grade tank washing services. With a kosher-certified food-grade wash bay CIP system, steam, hot blow, a whole long thing here. And they go on to how wonderful they are. And they're kosher-certified by Kosher Michigan. Now, you who are listening to me right now probably do not know who Kosher Michigan is. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about for just a couple of minutes until we get back to the rest of the story. Kosher Michigan is run by Rabbi Jason Miller, who is ordained by the Jewish Theological Seminary of America. He, uh, Mr. Rabbi Miller, or what if you want to call him, they both will say, leave it that. Uh, Jason Miller, I, first of all, I know Jason Miller. Jason Miller, he owns Kosher Michigan, and he is the president of Access Technologies in West Bloomfield, Michigan, an IT and social media marketing company. That's what he does. And he's a rabbi, practicing sometimes in a conservative synagogue, sometimes speaking, sometimes doing bar mitzvahs and weddings involved in several, several organizations, 
I can't discuss on the air some of the organizations he's involved in. It would be a little opposition to discussing some of these, but I will share with you a few points. Now, when on his website, where he, or his face, whatever it is, where he appears, it doesn't mention that JTS is who certified him. We, we in Conscious Magazine knew about him right away, and he's on a non-Orthodox website. Conscious Magazine maintains a non-Orthodox website for non-Orthodox hashkochos. And the reason we do that is for people to know that they're not Orthodox if they're on there. We don't want anybody getting confused. Obviously, they're not mentioned in our book. We want them to know that all those, and there's plenty of them, tremendous number of them, are not Orthodox. There's a long list of them. And, and Jason Miller is one of them. And uh, what, what is interesting here is he doesn't even mention on his website or wherever he is, his, his, his bio is listed, he doesn't mention that he got his, his ordination from Jewish Theological Seminary. It says here that he has gained a reputation as a Pied Piper with Jewish teens and 20-somethings. He could talk about sports and movies just as easily as he could talk about Torah and Jewish law. Okay? He, he says that he is trained as a kosher supervisor. I, I, maybe I'll give you a little bit about that. And mentions that he's a visiting rabbi of Congregation Ben Israel in Toledo, Ohio, which is conservative. And he serves on the board of different organizations, including Jewish Outreach Institute. Now, you would think, and I, I might have thought, Jewish outreach sounds like a very nice thing. But what is Jewish Outreach Institute? It's a trans-denominational organization, which means a lot of organizations, that they don't, you don't have to belong to anything, to help families that are unaffiliated or intermarried. This is what he does. He wrote... Uh, an article, uh, one, of his speak, one of his speeches that he gives, he speaks around, not everything is kosher in the kosher world. He wrote an article, I have it here, it was printed in, uh, let's see if I can get it. It was, it's called Ending Kosher Nostra, Bringing Saturday to the kosher certification industry. And it was in the Huffington Post back in 2010, 10 years ago. And in here, I'm going to skip some of the things that I think we might don't need it on J-Root. But what I'm going to read now is very, very important. And the reason why I'm reading this whole thing, why I'm spending so much time about it is because we don't want people making the mistake that the company, he has a whole bunch of hushkafas in there. And many of these things are already on shelves. They're not just wash, you know, companies. They're actually found on shelves in supermarkets. And people should be aware that hushkafas like this exist, that are conservative and not orthodox. But in particular... I'm interested in, in reading these few lines over here. My journey to the, this is Jason Miller, conservative rabbi. 
my uh, who certifies a kosher washing uh, station for trucks. My journey to the kosher certification profession was not planned. In 2008, I was hired by the rabbi, that, I'm sorry, as the rabbi of Tamarack Camps, with my main focus to supervise of the, agent, the agency's kosher kitchens. To adequately prepare for this new role, I returned to the Jewish Theological Seminary in New York, where I was ordained. Though I had served as a mashkiach in the cafeteria as a rabbinical student, I required detailed instruction to oversee the large camping agency. Many's, uh, there are many industrial Christians as a rubber machshir. This new position led me to private certification of a few bakeries, bagel stories, stores, and a vegetarian restaurant with the eventual formation of my own kosher certification agency, Kosher Michigan. This experience has been nothing less than fascinating. I now certify a paper that makes paraffin wax paper for kosher foods, olive oil bottling at a spice company, a gourmet chocolate factory, a food service corporation that provides shelf-stable meals to areas hit by national disasters, as well as several other businesses. I'm frequently called upon to kosher industrial and residential kitchens to consult Jewish organizations on kosher matters and to speak about the kosher food industry. I have become accustomed to fielding many questions about my kosher certification. People want to know if the Orthodox, as if it was a, it's a, a monolithic group, accepts my imprimatur. They want to know if conservative kosher, their phrase, is really legitimate. I'm frequently asked to articulate my standards and demonstrate my knowledge. Without even understanding the term, I want to know if all the food I certify is glot, even the bagels. Some are surprised that I conduct unannounced spot checks more often than many of my Orthodox colleagues. Now I'm going to read what he says about conservative hashkacha. Like me, other conservative rabbis around the country are launching kosher certification agencies. Not just rabbis anymore. They're now doing agencies. Vad this, vad that. Yes, they have them that are conservative. They have, and, and, and Jason has, you know, Kosher, Michigan, which sounds like and looks like, you know, with a map and all this stuff, it really looks, it looks like he is, he's the Kosher, Michigan. With all the Detroit and all these other ones around, and he lives in Detroit. Like me, okay, there, there, there may be four major agents, we say five, uh, but there are close to a thousand smaller ones. Well, now we're, in the last ten years, we're up to now fourteen of uh, sixty-seven, 50, uh, or fifty-six, whatever it was. Getting rid of monopoly enjoyed by some kosher agencies in in communities will only help reduce the price of kosher food. In other words, a lot of this town is a monopoly, so he wants to break the monopoly and bring down the price of kosher food. Uh, maintain, okay, when dirty, I've got to skip the, the negativity here. Okay, uh, now here's what I really want you to hear. It does not, this is, this is Jason Miller, who calls himself a, you know, authentic, 
kosher certification. So listen to these words. It does not necessarily follow that a restaurant owner who does not observe the Sabbath cannot therefore be trusted to maintain the strictures of kosher laws in his establishment. In other words, you don't have to be Shomer Shabbos to be kosher and to, be, and to maintain proper kosher standards with, and be trusted for that. And just because a non-Jew has looked at a bottle of wine does not mean it's no longer suitable for Jewish consumption. Well, I don't know if uh, Jason knows that that's not the halacha. So the halacha is not that way. There is a minig, or we call it in the Hasidic world, that if, you, if a goy looked at the, the bottle, and that's why they have a colored uh, bottles, uh, then it would be an issue. But uh, no one in the in the Kashrus agencies that I've ever dealt with, uh, unless maybe a certain Hasidic groups, but it, but nobody deals with it that way. We, we the only concern is that that they they shouldn't pour from an open bottle, but but they should but that they shouldn't see the bottle. No one says that. We we say you can go buy in a non-Jewish. Uh, uh, liquor store, you can buy your Shabbos uh, wine, no problem at all. But anyway, this is what he's promo- promoting, and that, that gives you a little flavor that this man is actually doing the kosher certification of major washout station. Since the time is really, it went away a little too fast for me, I kind of want to discuss a little more about this next week. I want to give you some of the insights on what's going on now in the industry. And uh, I want to say that my understanding is that there was, uh, after that 2007 incident with the the trucker, what I wrote up about it, there was a major upheaval in the industry. And hopefully things have been straightened out. It, It isn't so impossible to do because the COR in Canada has, I think, a 1,000 trucks that are kosher certified all the time. So this independent trucker thing is something to be avoided. That's what Yitz pointed out to us. Independent truckers are dangerous, and we need to have a, a clear system from A to Z with the dedicated line for kosher and with the dedicated uh, and, and with knowing which trucking facilities we could rely upon and making sure that the documentation is there and that the mashkichim are on the premises to do their work because it needs a lot of on-site uh, supervision. It's not something you can just do long distance checking up once a month. So yes, the industry has grown and, and, has, and has gone past the problems we had in 2007 with the, the trucker. But the new problem I'm pointing out to you is that, yes, there's always in the background kosher washes that are not really kosher, that are not being done properly, and they have to be avoided. And that is always the job of a dedicated staff of supervising rabbis in the kosher world. And that's what we're paying them for. That's what we're, going, we're relying on them for. And Baruch Hashem, We've seen tremendous growth in the cautious industry, the sophistication and the, uh, the, the knowledge and the, and, the, and the efforts of the cautious agencies all across on every single level. The very fact that the quinoa thing came out and everybody is dealing with it 
is really a praise of the entire cautious industry. Our time is up. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine, wishing you a wonderful week. If you want to contact us, you can do it at 718-336-8544 or our Lakewood number, 732-534-9363. And you can always reach us by by email at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at aol.com. Have a wonderful week.